This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I am Adam Booker. It's been a strange weekend. Hasn't it really, Adam? Or at least it has been from my end. Um, the UK is a pretty surreal place right now, as I'm sure you've seen online and from people you know, etc. Um, obviously, that culminated with not just this weekend's Premier League action, but football at all levels. Adults, kids, men's, women's being cancelled due to the Queen's death. And yeah, a weird time. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. Um... It is a weird time, especially from afar. Um, I didn't know the full extent of what kind of event this would be, what kind of spectacle this would be. Mm. Um, it was weird. Like I woke up that that morning, saw the news, and kind of you know said, "Okay, that makes sense." Um, and by the end of the day, I was trying to explain to my girlfriend how she's not grasping the the severity of the situation and how she needs Mm. to be more she needs to be more worried about what's going on and and blah 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 blah. so yeah i didn't i didn't quite understand from afar how big this was but clearly it's uh quite big it's had an effect on not only you in that country but me and my bank account Mm. here in this country yeah which we'll get on to um I, to be honest, I didn't expect it to be as sort of as sort of crazy as it's been, and and you know as as sad a moment it is for some people. There, there's also another side to the coin, and it's been 
It's been a really, really strange, probably one of the strangest weeks of my life in terms of just sort of existing and living in society in terms of something that's not sort of directly happened to my family and, and the emotions of that, something just in a wider sense. Um, now, quickly, obviously, caveat, we set this podcast up to be a space that recognises the link between football, politics, wider society. This is obviously a different situation um, with the death of the Queen, so we will endeavour to keep it as apolitical as possible. But obviously the, the big news story from the week in terms of sport or in terms of football because there was plenty of sport going on in England across these last couple of days was the decision itself to postpone the weekend's fixtures. It felt nonsensical beforehand. It felt nonsensical as it was being announced. It felt nonsensical over the weekend as as a sort of as the as the days went by. It's one which a decision that was was most likely taken by executives at the FA, at the Premier League, at the EFL, in the shiny suits, probably majority men, probably majority white men, and it showed yet another example of utter contempt to supporters, workers, staff, and small businesses too. Yeah, and look, I can't really speak for anybody but myself um, in this situation and how other people were impacted by it. I mean, anyone who follows uh, me, you, or our podcast account on Twitter will know that we were pretty outspoken about how much of a financial impact this Mm. um, past weekend of no football and this week of no football had on us. Um, which was pretty frustrating, but from a a uh, more zoomed out view, you know, you look at um, what happened at, at, at cricket, at rugby, and you think that maybe football being played would have been a, a moment of unity. Mm. Um, you know, we saw it in things with um, you know, kind of the the opening weeks of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, yeah. We've seen it with. Um, what's your Veterans Day? Is it Remembrance Day is what you call Remembrance it? Remembrance Sunday, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, things like that where we see that football can be a great, great place for unity. I know that there were some worries that there's potentially some demographics out there that are interested in that unity. Um, but yeah, the decision itself was bizarre for me and it felt like um, if you want somebody to be honored, separating everybody and forcing them to honor that person in silence um maybe mm. wasn't the way to do it yeah yeah um I, i'd have made the case had everything been cancelled that it's still nonsensical because of the sort of the the environment the world the job that i do the job that you do but even still the fact that what what made it so strange was the fact that everything else literally every single other aspect of british society was going ahead, or sorry, English society, because I know in Northern Ireland and Scotland and Wales, it was a little bit different depending on where you were. But in England, you could do anything you wanted leisure-wise apart from go to a football match. And that was the toughest pill to swallow um, because it, it felt like, once again, not for the first time, football supporters, be that in this country or abroad, were sort of, like I said at the top, being shown with contempt. And and there was arguments, like you say, that... that supporters may not have shown respect in stadiums which we'll never know or maybe we will because football is returning this week and and I said if people were going to boo the anthem or they were going to be disrupting a minute silence on Saturday they'll do that on Tuesday or Wednesday whenever the next game is so it, it didn't sort of be it, it didn't it wasn't an argument that stood up for me 
But there was obviously that video of West Ham fans singing the English national anthem ahead of their Europa Conference League game on Thursday, which was met with really warm embrace. That was obviously the day of the Queen's death. And it, it sort of, like you say, it showed how football can be a unifier. A lot of people who go to football matches, a lot of, and, and I don't like you sort of just singling out genders or demographics or whatnot, but it is it is a, a, a man's sort of, there, there are a lot of men who go to sport, uh, to, go, to go and watch football, and obviously not exclusively, but for them, that's the only time they will get together with friends. It's the only time they show any sort of outpouring of emotion. And there's, there's loads of studies that have been done, and it's really interesting actually seeing how, men typically unemotional how how that changes at football and it, it it did feel like in this sort of in this historic moment in this historic time that it was just they, they had the bat turned on them and i made the argument on twitter for those who were didn't really understand it and were just saying it's just one weekend get over it that it was like from our point of view as people who work in football telling someone to take a week's unpaid holiday and then just telling them to shut up about it. There were so many different strings and you saw the reaction from all sorts of, of people involved in football, supporters, journalists, workers, you know, going back, players as well. Their, their sort of backlash to this, you get the feeling that the Premier League were probably thinking on Friday night, what on earth have we done here? Yeah, and you're, the thing that you're spot on there about is whatever, you know, if there was situations that they were trying to avoid by canceling these games, whether it's, um, you know, the booing of the national anthem or disruption of moments of silence or whatever, you're, you're totally right that that's going to happen for weeks. Mm. If they want to avoid that, cancel the whole season. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'll say. And if you're not going to cancel the whole season, there was no point in canceling this past weekend or next weekend or whatever. Um, Mm. So yeah, I think we probably just move on and, t- and talk about actual football now, but um, bizarre situation that has left me and many people frustrated. Yeah, uh, we will we will move on. I just wanted to pick up on the last sort of point on it. Obviously, it was it was a tough one to take, but what I found, what I found really weird was the fact that going back throughout the history of football in England. It continued throughout the wartime, or at least it stopped at one point. It continued through the First World War uh, indefinitely, and then it it, it continued. It was stopped at the start of World War Two. Two weeks, three weeks in, it was moved to sort of a regional setup in the wartime for the Second World War. Football continued throughout most of the Second World War. Um, it continued the weekend after the last monarch died in 1952, and the one before that as well in the 1930s. It eventually continued through covid and the global pandemic they found a way to get that going it continued or so it has continued in the days following really sort of horrible terrorist attacks in in um in england both london manchester other places as well and that at that point it was seen as like you say a unifier but this was the line in which they drew in terms of postponements i don't know it i think for me it just yeah i think for me it just truly shows that it had nothing to do with request uh, respecting the queen there was yeah you know pr worries um and and things like that 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 affected this if it was about respecting the queen and unifying the country they wouldn't have kept people at home it's as simple as that there's no way a logical thinking person would have come to that decision if that was the if that was the aim well yeah you say logical thinking people i don't think they're the ones in charge of football are we as we've seen a number of times um that yeah it, it, it was it was mental it was crazy and, and i think without sounding crude the the idea that this came as a shock in terms of the queen's death 
is again very very short sighted from those involved because the woman was ninety six years old and as, as sort of sad as it's been, that is not a shock. It's not it's not a shock death in in, in that sense. So the idea that uh, I think it was I can't remember who it was. It may may have been Adam Kraft and it may have been Tariq Panja. I can't remember. But someone tweeted saying that these meetings on Friday morning should be ironing out any sort of bumps or any sort of uh, creases they have with the with the plan. It should have been it should have been decided years ago. It really should have been decided years ago. The fact that they had to make a decision as soon as it happened was was nonsense. Uh, it really, really was strange. And I mean, away from the, the moral argument, there's obviously the case of the season we're in, and we've touched that a number of times without sort of foreseeing this happening. The schedule is tight as it is. There isn't enough time to play the matches that are already in the schedule, mm. let alone the postponed ones. So... We'll get onto the football now, sort of using this Listen, as a segue. But that's that's I was, just, it's going to be mental. I was really surprised when I got wet in the shower this morning. So sometimes unexpected things happen. <laughs> oh, reason to that, what you will. Um, right, rants over. I feel what we ten minutes in, we've let the steam out. There is football this week, of course. Um, City women who were meant to start there. Women's Super League campaign on Sunday against Arsenal. Alex and I did a superb job of doing a little bit of preview to that, like the Spurs game, which which sort of was left uh, unneeded in the end. But they'll start their season this Sunday against Aston Villa. Before that, it is likely City will travel to Wolves on Saturday. That's probably not going to be one of the games that sees uh, a cancellation this weekend. But obviously the Champions League returns after that short break we've had on the last couple of days. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll preview City versus Dortmund, which is, of course, coming up this week. Now, I'm not saying Erling Haaland's departure would completely change the fortunes of any football club, Adam, but you do feel as though, looking at Borussia Dortmund this season, Erling's Haaland, Erling Haaland's departure has done a little bit of that as far as Dortmund are concerned. They've had a really, really strange start to season. Won four, lost two. But those defeats, I know you've you've seen them as well, but those defeats have not come quietly at all. They were blown away at the weekend in the most recent defeat by struggling RB Leipzig, uh, RB Leipzig side, who, interestingly enough, had... Marco Rosa in charge, having sacked Domenico Tedesco um, in the midweek following the Champions League. Obviously, Marco Rosa was Borussia uh, Dortmund's manager last season. They're a really, really strange team. They've made some good signings, don't forget, but there still feels like there's something missing with, with Borussia Dortmund at the moment. Yeah, there is. Um, you know, I think you'd probably be a bit more worried about them as a a member of your Champions League group in years gone by. You know, you think back to what would it have been 14, 15, which we had them in the group? Or would it have been uh, earlier than that? Earlier, 12, 13. Yeah, when yeah. We had Ajax, Real Madrid, and Dortmund and City, who were all champions of their respective nations. It's probably, right. for me, when, the toughest group that the Champions League has ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was, you know, that was Klopp's Dortmund. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it's definitely not the the Dortmund of the past. You know, there's obviously some good players there. You look around at Jude Bellingham, Marco Royce, uh, Julian Brandt on his day. Um, it's worth mentioning uh, that their initial replacement for Erling Holland was Sebastian Aller, who was mm. um, really unfortunately diagnosed with cancer this past summer and is, um, I believe, in the middle of, of chemotherapy at the yeah. moment. 
Um, he was actually at the game against Copenhagen last week, which was nice to see him up in the stands. But um, so obviously he's not playing. They brought in Anthony Modest to um, to fill his shoes. But you know you're talking tears, tears below somebody like um, like mm. Erling Holland. So yeah, they're definitely a team that um, on their day can be good. Uh, the issue is their day doesn't come very often. Yeah, yeah, the day does not come very often at all, or at least not on a continental stage. Obviously, they were knocked out of the Champions League group stage last year. They dropped down into the Europa League, where they were beaten um, quite emphatically in the end by Rangers, obviously, who who went on to reach the final. feels like there's a little bit of that in City's group this year, doesn't it? The, the t- Obviously, Copenhagen are a little bit of an unknown Um Big Danish team traditionally in Europe. You know they're a massive, massive club in 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 Denmark, and the, you know they have been in Europe quite a few times. But in terms of Sofia and Dortmund as well, if this group was drawn, like you say, four, five, six, seven years ago, you'd be looking at it as a potential banana skin. But so far, touch wood. Obviously, it was rudimentary against Sofia in match day one. But those two, those two teams in particular. I don't want to say have have passed it because obviously that could come back to bite us, but they're not the threatening team that you would have probably thought about, like I say, half a decade ago, if not if not a little bit more. Yeah, um, I think that's spot on. It's also worth mentioning that we're now in an era um, as Manchester City Football Club in which you basically are expected to win whatever group you're in. It doesn't really mm-hmm. matter who is in the group with you. And um I think when you look around at some of the other Champions League groups, there's very, very few. You know, obviously, if you consider replacing City with one of the other Pot A or Pot B teams in the group, um, there's very, very few groups out there in which you think, yeah, we'd have a tough time getting out of that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I think these group stage games are great because. If we can get a couple more big wins, you know, if you run up the score against Copenhagen, maybe Dortmund at home, then we're looking at possibly having some games to rotate the squad pretty heavily in and not in a sense like the Carabao Cup and take games super lightly, but in the sense that we saw it at Sevilla, we saw Sergio Gomez playing. I'd love to see Calvin Phillips start playing some games um, from the start. Um, you know, Julian Alvarez can be starting if we ever want to give Holland a break, which you'd have to think that's eventually coming. Um, so I look forward to these games, to be honest. I'm looking forward to the one on Wednesday, especially because there was uh, no football at the weekend. Uh, well, no English football at the weekend. But hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I I think just to round it all off, I'm just not as worried about Dortmund as, as I once was. And maybe that's... Um, Maybe that's bad. Maybe I'm going to yeah. be um, unpleasantly surprised this week, but uh, I don't get that feeling. I can't wait to clip this up when Brushy Dortmund come and uh, turn City over 3-0 at the Etihad. When, um, when it, former City Academy star Bino Gittens has a hat-trick. <laughs> He's a good player, though. He's a very yeah. good player. Yeah. Um, in- interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously they came into Champions League in pot three despite finishing second in the Bundesliga last season. And I guess that's down to their poor performances in Europe in recent years with the coefficient or the club coefficient um, sort of bumping them down. Sevilla being the team uh, in pot two. Um, yeah, that, that that was a weird configuration. And, and, you know, I guess it worked out for City. And it's an obvious point to make, as we have done. They're not the same team City 
sorry, Borussia Dortmund aren't the same team as when City last played them. Just in 2021, it would have been um, in the quarterfinal of the 2020-2021 campaign. They've lost Haaland, they've lost Sancho, and while players like Karim Adeyemi, Nicolas Sula, who sort of was wanted to stay at Bayern, oh sorry, Bayern wanted him to stay there, but he decided to leave for Dortmund. As you mentioned, Anthony Modest, he's a weird, weird player. Didn't expect to see him at Dortmund. He scored 20 goals for FC, FC Cologne last season, but he doesn't really have the pedigree you'd expect to do it on the on the Bundesliga stage. He's a little bit like one of those strikers we see in England to sort of make the translation. Maybe Patrick Bamford or Ollie Watkins or Ivan Tony getting a move to Liverpool or you know uh, Chelsea, something like that. Which which I suppose doesn't sound crazy, but it's like right, okay, you've got to lead the attack after Haaland has left, and obviously uh, Sebastian Heller has, has had his um, cancer diagnosis. But the, 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 in terms of personnel, I was listening to um, a, a Brushy Dortmund pod in the build-up to this, and, and they say it themselves, they feel as though they are a, a couple of top-quality players short from really challenging. And in a in a league like Bayern Munich, sorry, in a league like the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich, you really have to put a performance in on, in Europe to make sort of, to, to, to get the headlines and, and entice players to come and play for you. Because, the, like I said, the last few years in Europe for Dortmund haven't been great at all. Well, and it's, you know, you if you're a top player, you also look at the club and you look at their transfer policy and you think, is that where I want to go to compete? Because it doesn't seem from their transfer policy that they're interested in competing. They're interested in um, flipping players. Yeah. That seems to me what they're they're football real estate agents at this point. Um, <laughs> they they it's like know, selling sunsets on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. They, they buy a nice small house and they turn it into a mansion and they sell it. But they're not really concerned about having a nice home themselves. That's the yeah, best analogy yeah. I, I could give a Bruce. Well, they have got, they've got a lovely home. They've got one of the best right. homes. Yes. Um, they don't have good furniture inside their home, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. And you say that Bayern are the standard setters. It seems like your boys Union Berlin are the standard setters yeah. this day. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's completely off topic, but um, anyone who doesn't know the story of Union Berlin, I mean, where have you been? But go and find out because they're a team playing in the depth of German football not too long ago. They're a team who were saved by the supporters donating blood because I believe in Germany there's a sort of like a program where if you donate blood, you can get paid for doing so. So they donated blood to keep the country, it's a country, Jesus Christ, they've got a big enough economy as it is, to keep the club alive. Um, and they built the stadium themselves and now, I mean... In the middle flying. of the forest. They walked down to in, the middle of the forest, the forest and built yeah. themselves a stadium. Yeah, yeah, it's a great story. It's an absolutely great story. They might be in the Champions League, City might play them. Imagine that. But, um, but yeah, just, just on the Bundesliga, it's a good point because... It's such an open league. It gets a lot of stick, I feel like, the Bundesliga, purely because, and, and fairly so, because Bayern Munich win every single season. And it's not even a case of now saying every other season. You know, they, they win every single season. They've done 10 in a row. Um, so it, it, it's difficult to properly judge it. But below Bayern, it's such an open league with teams right down to the bottom, trying to play football, quote-unquote, the right way. But as we know, give City space, give City time, and they'll tear you apart. And I assume that it's going to be a case of, like it was for Sevilla last week, it's going to be a case of damage limitation from the off for Dortmund because their 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 fight in this Champions League group isn't against City. It's against Sevilla and it's against Copenhagen. So to sort of 
ensure they don't sort of have to come down to, I know it's head-to-head, isn't it, in the Champions League and then it's goal difference, but you don't want to be getting battered, to put it lightly. And obviously with the extra incentive of, of Erling Haaland playing against his old club already, they'll be looking at that going, 2-0 defeat will do us just fine, um, which is weird in a way. It is weird, and it almost feels like it should be disrespectful to say that, but it's it's not. It's, it's logical. Mm. Um, yeah, I expect City to probably play a full-strength 11 because of the time off, and you'd like to think that they were very happy and comfortable getting into a rhythm, and that rhythm was broken with the games being postponed past this past weekend. Um, so while... Had we played Spurs on Saturday, I would have been sitting here thinking, okay, we're going to see, you know, we're going to see Sergio Gomez. We're going to see some changes in the back four potentially. Um, I'm expecting a full strength 11, which is probably bad news for Dortmund. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll touch on team news in a sec, but we've already spoke about the schedule to so move it on to City now and, and um, their, their chances, which I guess is sort of already covered because you expect City to win. That's just how it is at the moment. Um, but in terms of the schedule and how congested that already is, you feel as if Guardiola and City will want to get this group wrapped up as early as possible. And I guess you could probably do so after three games. You can certainly do so after four games, just to avoid any unnecessary must-wins towards the back end of the group stage. And I don't think it's necessarily a year this year where City will target six wins out of six in the group stage if they can get top spot with four wins and two rotated rotated 11s against um, whoever they'll play. I think that'll be seen as as a success because we've already seen Chelsea and Liverpool slip up in their first games and they're already on the back foot and although the Champions League format probably states that they'll get through at a canter, you don't want to be chasing you want to be in control and um, I don't know, it just feels like there's a a renewed hunger after two seasons of Champions League disappointment within the squad and maybe new plays helps but it feels as though I know that Sevilla game's a small sample size, but it feels like they're up for it. Yeah, and I think a huge part of that renewed hunger is Erling Holland, And I'm sure that while none of them will admit it, many of the players will be thinking that he was the final piece. Mm. Um, and they'll be looking at this maybe thinking, you know, clearly we haven't, we've been missing something in the past. And, and I'm sure plenty of them will be thinking that thing we were missing was Erling Holland And um, you know, we're seeing his his impact from the start. So um, I'm sure that plays a huge part in it. And it, it plays a huge part in, in my confidence in them this season. I mean, I mm. when we spoke about it last week, I didn't predict them to win it. But I think that's a bit of um, a bit of past trauma there that's making me yeah. why, why, why would you pick them? Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're one of those players, you've got to be thinking that this is probably the best chance you've had in a city shirt to win it, and that's crazy to think about given some of the squads that we've had in in the Pep era. Yeah, um, we've got some listener questions. Some of them are related to the. Dortmund games, some of them are just sort of general football. It's going to be a shortened episode this week, obviously not a lot of football to speak about but potentially some format changes coming for us, so we'll, we'll maybe speak about that a little bit at a different time. Um, so we'll start off then. First question from Manai J. Who for you are undroppable players in defence, midfield and attack? So quickly off the bat, Adam, you give us three players, defender, midfielder, attacker, who are for you at the moment undroppable? Um, in attack, I think it's easy, Erling Haaland. Although I don't, I have to say, I have to say, I don't 
actually think he's uh, for me undroppable means the team suffers without him i don't actually think the team suffers because we've seen very clearly they have another way to play without him that is successful but if there's one player that i would very much not like to drop from that front three is erling holland midfield kevin de bruyne um I think that's obvious the way he's playing at the moment. He's he's having he gets an assist, I think 0.77 assists per game. So nearly an assist per game which uh, which would basically shatter the record uh, along mm. with, you know, Holland on pace to shatter the record for um goal scoring in a single season. In the back four, this is where it gets trickier for me. Because at the moment, I don't think there is one player in the current back four that has made themselves undroppable. You know, you, De Bruyne has made himself undroppable with his performances. He's not mm. undroppable because of who he is. Erling Holland is, is not undroppable because of who he is. Everybody is droppable in this team if they don't perform. In the back four, for the past four years, I would tell you Kyle Walker. Uh mm. At the current moment, I don't see anybody as undroppable. Potentially, Ruben Diaz, maybe he's the vocal mm. leader, and therefore, no matter how he's playing, you always want him in there for his his leadership ability. But for me, I'll say Ederson. How about that? In the back line, I'll say Ederson <laughs> is the undroppable. I'll, I'll, I'll go real cop out here. Yeah, that's a proper politician's answer. We're keeping it apolitical today. Um, that's interesting because I've got three different names. Uh, written down. Um, I, I guess the easy answer, as you said, is is Erling Haaland. Yeah, I think that's the, the sort of acceptable one. I'll say Phil Foden because I think with Phil Foden, whether he's playing on the left, whether he's playing on the right, he offers something that no other player in the squad can offer. And we've we've said so much about Phil Foden um, so far this season in midfield. I, I, I wanted to say Foden. I wanted to say Foden, but I was afraid that um, if I mentioned the name of a, as the kids say, finished player. <laughs> that I might get just too much stick for this nice Monday afternoon. Yeah, well, I'm going to be edgy. Um, in midfield, I, I, I don't. I, I'm surprised you didn't pick up on this, but for me, it's Rodri. I think above above all else, with 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 Kevin De Bruyne, we've already seen this season he's not started a game, and, and City have done well. I think they were three 0 up at halftime, something like that, all four 0 Um, with Rodri, I, I I suppose you've got Calvin Phillips, but he's still a little bit of an unknown. And in the back line, I'd actually say. Cancelo is uh, is as close to undroppable as as possible purely because he can play on the right, he can play on the left, and City's options within those those positions are so limited. He is the most versatile and and is probably the most important. Obviously, Kyle Walker started the season not in the best of form, not in the best of shape. Um, don't know if they stand up for your scrutiny or or, or if there's any holes in them. What I would say is how much of a blessing is it that when we're looking at undroppable players, we've got six different players yeah 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 that, that, that's a decent way to look at it um a couple more then this one comes from tommy nutt um i know city fans won't want to say this but one day harland will end up going two or three games in a row without scoring a goal when this comes around do you think this will have an effect on our results since we rely on our superhuman freak of nature to get us the goals I really, really found this question interesting um, when it popped up. I, I really, I really did. I sort of had to think about it because we've said a number of times actually how many games this season does City not win if Haaland isn't in the team? And the obvious, obvious answer is well, there'd be a different player in there to, to maybe get a goal as well. But 
the way in which City have operated so far this season, it has felt like his reliance, and, and fair enough, rightly so, that's what strikers are there to do. It doesn't matter if nobody else scores, if your striker scores, but there has been a heavy reliance on his goals. Do I think it affects results? No, purely because um, we've had the benefit of having two seasons of playing in a similar, uh, sorry, in, in a system without a striker. Had this come the other way around, had Haaland been at City for three, four, five years, then he'd left, then I think it would be a different issue. But the <clears> fact that City could sort of, I don't know, sort of train up this this false nine system, you'd assume the muscle memory allows him to go back to it without much ease. I don't know if that's something you, you subscribe to as well, but I don't. it would affect results, I think. I don't think City would be as sort of imperious as they have been so far, but I don't think it would necessarily see City do a Liverpool, for example, and start winning one, one game every four. See, I interpret this question differently. I don't think you can... I don't think you can even mention playing in a system without him answering this question because I think the the idea of the question is because we do play with him nearly 90 minutes a game, if he's not scoring, does anybody else score? Um, what I would say is a yes. You know, if you go back and look at watch City play this year, there are plenty of other scoring chances for other attacking players. Um, you know, it's not think what West Ham he scored all the goals Palace he didn't Forest he didn't um, mm. Sevilla he didn't I'm trying to think I know there was far more games than that but yeah you got Hatcher Kane's Palace and obviously there was another golf Bernardo so that he scored the majority <clears throat> but not all right so my point point being is that we probably wouldn't blow teams away so easily um, but there would still be goals and there's still this the team would still find ways to win yeah yeah, uh, well, I'll add to that, there was a second part to the question, which was, if that was the case and Haaland wasn't scoring, do you, how do you rectify it? Do you go against uh, the false yeah. nine? And that's that's sort of what I was covering there. But I agree, you know, Haaland will go two games, three games without scoring, and it's just a case of hoping, I suppose, City's other players can... We also have goals. another number nine that seems we to do. be pretty, pretty all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, controversial take, that, isn't it? Julian Alves seems to be looking good. Um I'm looking a little bit silly predicting that he'd have a bigger impact than Ireland, but hey-ho. Um, finally then, uh, this one comes from Radar2HZ. How many times will City be made to play two games in the space of 72 hours, given how relaxed the fixture list currently is? Wait, it's not relaxed. That was sarcasm, right? <laughs> Of, yeah, yeah. Okay. For, for, for you, who spends so long replying to people with the definition of sarcasm, it's a little you bit de- ironic that you, you delivered didn't it. <laughs> you delivered it in such a serious way that it well, really you know, threw me off. Um, you know us Brits. You know how many Brits. times will they be made to play two times in 72 hours? Probably uh, there's four weeks in a month, probably three weeks per month for the rest of the season on average is what I would say. That's a nice like without answer. without without knowing the schedule like off the yeah. top of my head, that's what I would guess is they're probably playing so that's what ten games a month, something like that. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I think there's some possibly October might even be eleven or twelve. I saw a great tweet actually from Luke Webb on Twitter. He said, um, Christmas Day is, is currently looking tasty. Eight AM open presents, nine AM Arsenal v Everton, eleven AM Arsenal versus PSV, one PM Turkey. 
3 p.m. King's Speech, 5 p.m. Brentford versus Arsenal. It's it's starting to feel a little bit like it as isn't it? It's, it's gonna get it's gonna get chaotic. Um, uh, and I guess so. One more question uh, from Vivian: Are you guys on Google Podcasts? Yes, I responded to her. Yeah, you did indeed. She's um, she's got the answer. Yeah, and yeah. the link. Uh, oh, all podcast platforms if you are wondering well i I guess we'll i guess we'll wrap there um like i said condensed episode there was as we've covered um no football to speak about but as always there's been football to speak about um anything else to add before before we bounce um no i have nothing that was a that was may god save the podcast Uh, I am absolutely not editing this out either. I'm going to yeah. leave your lengthy laugh in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on that note, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been joined by Adam Booker, a mischievous Adam Booker, who's now going to go and sit in the naughty corner. Actually, I've got a new next- job today. I am starting as Tommy Doyle's social media manager today, so I'm looking forward to that yeah. when we get off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my first job as Tommy Doyle's media officer went fantastically the other day, so you've taken over from me. Um, until next time, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you later. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.